We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by Blue Wire's new show, On the Hook with Abner Mares. Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we're here from his Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made the boxer the man he is. He'll talk about the state of boxing, his journey from a kid on the streets to a boxing champ, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast, and this week presented by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It's week three of Rocktober, which the previous weeks uh, has been dedicated to talking about the Rocky franchise. This week, we're going to do the non-sports movie, but keeping the Rocktober theme. We're talking School of Rock. Mike Schubert joined. He is the, the first member of the Four Timers Club on Big Screen Sports. Mike, as always, was fantastic. So were his podcasts, Potterless Horse and Meddling Adults, which he had me on for the season one finale. It is the the only podcast game show for charity I know of. It's It was really fun to be on the pod. It's a really good show. Uh, go check out the work Mike does. Frankly, he is just, just the best. I love having him on big screen sports. Uh, we had a great time with this one. I still haven't had Mike on to cover a typical sports movie. We did uh, Pitch Perfect earlier this year. We've done High School Musical. Uh, we've done the Quidditch scenes of Harry Potter and and now School of Rock, which kind of just like Pitch Perfect lines up as a sports movie. It's a really fun one to talk about, a fun one from both of our childhoods, uh, still insanely rewatchable. Really interesting to watch it as an adult. If you haven't, I encourage you, go take a rewatch. Uh, it is, I believe, on Netflix, uh, but it, it's, it's very, very interesting. It's still enjoyable, but you notice some more things as an adult. Uh, but after the the past two, we did uh, School of Rock this past month and then Crazy Stupid Love last month. After these past two, I'm going to get back to having the Big Screen Sports Facebook group vote on the non-sports movie of the month, so go join on Facebook. Uh, I will put up four nominees here real soon for what we do in November. Uh, next week, going to cap Rocktober with Rocky, the original underdog story. Looking forward to that. It's been a, 
a long time coming on for the sports movie podcast to actually cover Rocky. If you've been enjoying Rocktober, enjoying big screen sports, remember to go check out past episodes. They're all pretty evergreen. Uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple podcast, rate, review, leave a five-star review. Tell me what you think about the pod. I will read out all new five-star reviews at time of recording. Also, if you're a baseball fan, go check out my baseball interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. New episode of that drop in tomorrow if you're listening to the day this drops, uh, October 19th. But with that, let's go talk School of Rock with Mike Schubert. All right, joining Big Screen Sports to wrap up Rocktober, he is the host of Potterless and Meddling Adults, the co-host of Horse, Mike Schubert. Thank you for returning to Big Screen Sports, Mike. Thank you for having me. I am very honored that I get to talk about this particular movie, which was very important in seventh grade Mike's life and continues to be today. But I think I think if you give me one of those tests of like, quote, the most dialogue consistently from a movie like gun to my head type of thing i feel like school of rock would be my go-to it's there's a ton of a ton of uh it's very easy to remember it's like school of rock is like riding a bike you find out you remember a lot of stuff oh yes oh yeah all the lyrics many of the jokes all of the antics it's a great time before we get into it mike tell the folks where they can find you on social media and where they can check out all the good stuff you're doing you have you have more podcasts than anyone i've had on this show (laughs) <laughs> oh, man, I don't know if that means uh, if that's a compliment or an insult. Uh, but yeah, uh, on social media, I'm at Shube17, S-C-H-U-B-E-S-1-7. And then as far as my podcasts, Potterless, which is me reading the Harry Potter books for the first time, never did it as a kid. Horse, which is a basketball podcast where we only talk about the fun stuff. So, you know, just like Jimmy Butler's coffee business and not really about his points per game. And then Meddling Adults, where Kyle's been on and we have people going head to head to try to solve children's mysteries for charity. Um, all of those are just wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, whatever. If you just search for them or search for Multitude, which is the collective I'm a part of, they'll show up. Meddling Adults is one of the most fun podcasts out there. It's it's the only podcast game show that I am aware of and that I regularly listen to. I enjoyed my time on there. Uh, I encourage everyone to go check that out. But Mike, today you are you are the first member of the Four Timers Club on Big Screen Ooh. Sports, and we have... We have talked about some interesting stuff. We have talked about Quidditch. We have talked about High School Musical. We've talked about acapella. And now we are talking about School of Rock, the 2003 comedy. If he doesn't come up with the rent by the end of the week, he's out of here. You wake me up for that? Come on! Dewey Finn would have sold his soul for rock and roll, but nobody was buying. You're an embarrassment. You're out. Maybe it's time to give up those dreams. Is this Mr. Schneebly? I'm the principal here at Horace Green Prep, and we need somebody to start immediately. Hmm, so how much are we talking here? Six fifty a week. Now, at the most prestigious prep school in the country. Yes, Tinkerbell. That poster charts everyone's performance. Where the students are rewarded for following the rules. What kind of a sick school is this? He's going to teach them a lesson. There will be no gold stars or demerits that will rock their world. It's called Rock Band. Jack Black. The School of Rock. After being kicked out of his rock band, Dewey Finn becomes a substitute teacher of an uptight elementary private school only to try and turn his class into a rock band and start Jack Black, Joan Cusack, Mike White, Sarah Silverman, and a bunch of kids. 
It was directed by the god Richard Linklater. It was written by Mike White, who plays Ned Schneebly. Uh, he also wrote Orange County, Nacho Libre, and The Good Girl, which was all all news to me. I didn't realize that Ned Schneebly was, was penning those movies. The only one I knew out of that was Nacho Libre. Orange County was also Jack Black. That was Jack Black and Colin Hanks. The Good Girl was... It was like a dark comedy with a stellar cast. It's it's Jennifer Aniston, uh, John C. Riley, a really young Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, yeah, it's Good Girl is Good Girl is like quietly really good. But this nice. one uh, got a ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It has been adapted for Broadway for TV. Was wildly successful. Jack Black was nominated for a Golden Globe for this one. Whoa, I did is, not know that. Just crazy. It was the year that Bill Murray won for Lost in Translation. Also, the year that Johnny Depp was nominated for Captain Jack Sparrow. Uh, th- this movie was it was a smashing success, and it was it is probably for me. It's probably the peak Jack Black performance. What about you? Yeah, I agree. This is just Jack Black. At his peak. And also, I remember I had the DVD and I watched every single behind the scenes extra feature that they had. I was obsessed with this movie in middle school. And Mike White said that he wrote this explicitly for Jack Black. Like he was writing the movie and he said in an interview something to the effect of if Jack Black turned it down, I don't know what we would have done because the whole time I was imagining Jack Black playing Dewey. And frankly, if he doesn't do what he does in this movie, if Jack Black isn't Jack Black and can't come off as likable, even if his character is, we're, we're going to get into this. Yeah. <laughs> whew, tough. Dewey Finn is, is truly a tough scene when you watch this as an adult. This movie doesn't work without Jack Black. But for no. you, is it a Hall of Famer, All-Star starter, or bench warmer? For me, it's a Hall of Famer. I just think that it is, it's so fun, and there are so many different elements of it that are very good. The music, obviously, is incredible. I love having the kids that are just acting like kids, and the casting, like, they they pick just musicians. So when they are playing nervous kids in a classroom, it becomes more believable, which I think is fun. And I just think it's incredibly well-written, and I think that the way it is set up the script for Jack Black, it's like when a sports team takes the entire roster just to shape it around one player, like the Rockets this season when they traded away all their centers because they were like, look, we have to make optimized for James Harden and Russell Westbrook. This is what we have to do. It reminded me of that where this whole movie exists to let Jack Black be in his purest sense and his truest form. And I think it works really well. Yeah, you have to overlook some key aspects when you watch it with an objective lens on like you have to overlook that Mm -hmm. Dewey is kind of despicable for most of the movie. Like this is a human that you wouldn't be friends with. You wouldn't be able to tolerate. Um, But the performance he's at his best. He makes the movie work. Dewey isn't a malicious guy. He's not like a cruel guy, but he's, he's very selfish, but because of Jack Black, it works. You've got the great soundtrack, the great child actors, and then the great payoff at the end, which is an ultimate big chill scene at the end of this one, mm. which is kind of why, as you pointed out to me uh, when we were messaging about this, that much like Pitch Perfect, this one is is basically a sports movie. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like, it's like, in a way, it's like Mighty Ducks, but about music now, because you have... 
the the coach Gordon Bombay, who most people don't know this, but uh, the beginning of Mighty Ducks, he is uh, arrested for a DUI and then has to coach the team like as a sentencing. So similarly, like not the highest quality character person in terms of their decision making, but when it comes to putting them in front of the kids, in front of the kids and trying to make them perform at their best, he's able to bring out the best in them. And then yeah, ultimately ends in them overcoming all odds and it's just the classic i mean spoiler alert for anyone that doesn't know the ending it's the classic like they didn't win but they should have but they're the fan favorite kind of thing you know lost a popular vote or won the popular vote but lost the electoral college kind which of which really stings <laughs> all these stings years a lot. later <laughs> um i didn't put this on the run sheet but i just wanted to throw it out where does the the school of rock rank in terms of movie bands for you Ooh, when man. you think movie bands, what do you think? Because I like some of my favorites. The Wonders from that thing you do mm-hmm. is probably the peak for me. Uh, Stillwater from Almost Famous, Spinal Tap from This Is Spinal Tap, uh, CB4, which is essentially was essentially just NWA from the Chris Rock movie, and then Brie Larson's band from Scott Pilgrim is awesome. There's a, they're they're really solid. I think the the problem with ranking them is that we do really only get this one song from them and then the outro credit thing, but they are very good. I mean, you have to give them at least the novelty credit of all being kids and still being very talented. And that they all play their own instruments, which mm-hmm. is which is great. That's actually that's part of the IMDb trivia is that Link right. later refused to direct unless the kids played their own instruments, which is incredible. I don't know if he had the fort, like he, he probably wasn't thinking about this, but it makes for these incredible cast reunions. There's a great video of them from 2013 reuniting and playing the song, which is Oh, I got to see this. I really need to watch that. That sounds great. It's great. I I will, I will send that to you as soon as we're done recording. Um, I have one final kind of opening question for you. Do you think, if had this happened in real life, which is how we look at a lot of the things on this podcast, would Dewey actually have avoided prison time? I don't think so. I really don't think so. <laughs> like, there's just so many... The fact that it's it's already bad enough that he was acting as someone else, and I'm sure there is some sort of financial white-collar crime of identity theft getting paid for work that you were pretending as someone else like that's already bad enough but then the fact that you take the kids on a rogue field trip that the only reason you were able to even make it seem like it was okay is because you got the principal drunk like there is a lot of layers where i don't think just because they happen to win over the crowd even though they didn't win for this radio contest battle of the bands i don't think he escapes prison time so I don't think so either, but I was giving it some thought as to how this scenario could actually play out like it does in the movie, where in the end, instead of being in the starting a prison band, kind of like Blues Brothers, <laughs> he is uh, just running a running a like successful rock school with Ned Sh- Ned Schneebly. Um, so you think about all the parents, and all the parents are very rich, affluent, powerful people who could have made who have the money. And the, Ooh. the, I mean, if you think yeah. about most of them, the whiteness to make yeah. this oh, yeah. either really bad for Ned or really good for Ned. And mm-hmm. if there's one thing that rich people hate more than being had, which Ned has has essentially ah. conned them for for three weeks, it is letting other people think that they've been had. So they could have taken this and said, you know what, like look at this amazing thing that this person did and we've all learned a valuable lesson here and we're, you know, and he's taught us such great things about our kids and we're going to support him and we're going to start this school. I think the parents 
fund would have funded the school just to avoid saving face and having to tell all their friends at the country club like yeah we were actually paying fifteen thousand dollars a year for uh just essentially just a con man to come and teach our kids i like it i think it's smart i mean i feel like they also have the influence for whatever government is trying to uh whatever the our our judicial system is fucked i'm sure they have enough money power and influence to make it not happen Oh, yeah. I mean, they could have made it so Dewey doesn't even, like, see the inside of a courtroom. Yeah. Like, not even probation for Dewey. I also wonder if there's a very particular house arrest situation where he can, like, be in his apartment and the school of rock, and that is it. Nothing else. <laughs> Which is basically all he's ever wanted. Yeah. So is to I, just be, is be allowed to sit inside and play rock music all day. It's a, it's a way of living. <laughs> it is. Uh, the IMDb trivia for this one, I, I only grabbed a few things. We already mentioned the thing about kids playing their own instruments. Uh, Jack Black thought of all the nicknames for the kids, which is fun when you think about it. That's a very, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a very endearing feature of the of the character, you know, all the, the kids. And you know most of the kids, like, uh, Fancy Pants. You only really call them Fancy Pants. Mm-hmm. The idea for the movie came when writer Mike White, uh, a.k.a. Ned Schneebly, moved into an apartment next to Jack Black. White would often find Jack Black running naked through the halls or blasting much of the music featured in the movie at full volume. So <laughs> who is who would be a worse neighbor, Jack Black or, or Dewey Finn? Oh, man. I would say probably Dewey Finn because at least Jack Black has money, fame, cool friends, etc. Whereas Dewey Finn seems really all he's got going to him is like his spunky can do attitude and his middling music abilities. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a benefit to to hanging out with Jack Black. Right. There's some, sure. some hangers on benefits. There's nothing for Dewey Finn. He's just like a parasite. Mm-hmm. Uh originally in the script, Dewey was supposed to have run the teacher over before she came to school, which oh. stopped her from teaching the class for three weeks. Instead they changed it to her falling in the shower instead. Yeah, I think that's a little bit better. I think it's more I think so too. it's more fun that he didn't cause any harm in the situation. The the worst thing he did to kickstart this was pretend that he was uh Nebly. Yeah, you don't need any more reasons to think that Dewey is a degenerate. Yeah. Um lastly, the script originally called for Jack Black and Joan Cusack's characters to fall in love following their outing to the bar. I am very glad that the movie did not Yeah. did not do this and and instead has uh Spider hitting on her after Oh the, uh, god, after Spider so good. Oh my gosh. Spider is that's a whole nother thing we'll have to we'll have to get into. But yeah, I think more movies need to be comfortable with male and female character, man and woman character not necessarily becoming love interests at the end. I find it so incredibly hokey that it happens so often that you just can't have like, oh, it's a man and a woman. They and they, you know, enjoy being together. Clearly they have to get together. It's like, why can't they just be friends. That's what I really appreciated about Rogue One is that at the end they didn't like kiss and all this stuff. It was just like, we are here and I am boy, you are girl and it is okay. You know, I appreciate movies not feeling like you have to throw romance into the mix and I liked that that didn't happen here because it wouldn't have been believable. No, because these characters, the only thing they had in common was that they liked Stevie Nicks. Yeah, and that's not enough to hold together a relationship. I have a fun fact about Spider- that I don't Ooh. have all the information in front of me, but I do have a fun nugget. Have you heard about all the drama surrounding the recent Netflix release? I think it is called Cuties or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like the French movie where it's it's like about girls 
young girls being uh like i don't know like put in like modeling and sexy clothes and stuff and then yeah. the, the director's like oh it's a commentary on it it's like but you're still doing it ugh, I, ugh, that's yeah. the one so i i don't have i don't have the information directly in front of me but there is a a texas town that is suing netflix for child pornography and the mm. da of that town is spider what <laughs> holy shit I'm I'm gonna pull this up right now because Good I should have before, spider. but just when I said spider, I remember this. I want to shout out my buddy Man. Pete Hart for uh, for bringing this to my attention. Wow, I mean, so it's in Texarkana. Okay. Oh, oh wait, no, wait, wait, no, that's uh, wow. Texas Town has been taking uh, Netflix and Hulu to to court a lot more than you'd mm. think. Uh, so I have to be specific <laughs> for cuties. This, that's that I don't I'm not sure I want this in my uh, private window in, incognito yeah, should have <laughs> Ty, okay Tyler Texas Tyler, oh yeah Texas. I know but, Tyler yeah, Spider is is the DA there that is absolutely Lucas incredible. good for him good for him he's a he's a DA now he is he has gone from spider to DA which is which is absolutely crazy but we are going to go from IMDB trivia to best scene where I do have to say before we get into this there is yes. one fun fact that I remember from the uh, director's commentary and it's the movie is just called School of Rock but if you watch the opening thing where they have the neon sign when they're going through the bar which I think is a great intro to it you know mm-hmm, going through and mm-hmm. then eventually the music's all muffled and then gets la- uh, the music's all muffled and then it gets louder the neon sign says the School of Rock and they went back and forth a lot between calling it School of Rock versus the School of Rock and they eventually dropped the the cuz it was cleaner but they already kept it in that neon sign intro thing and then they just left it there even though the movie is not called the school of rock and then they kind of flip-flop back in between during the movie of calling the band school of rock versus the school of rock so it's just an interesting thing that it kind of flip-flops throughout it's kind of like the facebook drop the the drop the the (laughs) let's get into best scene i'm gonna list these chronologically i only put down four as i've been trying to get a little more specific with these but if i if i do miss one of your favorites by all means stop me i'm going chronologically the Mm -hmm. first one i have of scenes that like if this is on cable or something i have to catch when he when he makes the band, when he figures out what all the kids are yeah, good at playing gosh, and what so they can good. do. What's your name? Lawrence. Lawrence, you ever played keyboards? Any techno? No, I only play piano. Okay, all right, fair enough. Try this out for me, okay? Just give this a try on my count, all right? One, two, three, four. Yeah. Yes. Come on, come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe. Fada fada, can't you see that I am not afraid? Shaka gaga. Lawrence is good at piano. He shall be rocking in my shoe. Stop. That's perfect. You're perfect. Stay right there, okay? You, could you come up? Because it's kind of like a three-part scene. First, like, first he he picks out all the musicians. Like, he sees them in the music class, and then he's like, wait, you can, you know, hey, you can play oboe. Now you can play bass. Congratulations. And then he has the conversation with Lawrence at lunch, which is the first redeemable thing that Dewey has really done all movie. And then he assigns all the various parts to the students. 
Yeah, it's really good. I also like that you said oboe and not cello. I would love to see an oboe player transition to bass. Like, do I blow into the strings? Oh, uh, she was playing cello. That is, <laughs> oops. <laughs> That's no, how you I mean, know I still, was not in band. <laughs> it is still a stretch. That's that like, oh yeah, the cello, just turned it on the side and now it's the same. But yeah, that scene is just, it's so wholesome and beautiful, especially when the kids... Like uh, bringing up Lawrence to start doing Touch Me, I think that's the peak of that scene. It's so good. It is. It is. There's one downside of that scene. And like, even if you're Dewey, who's a little untethered from reality uh, because reality gets in the way of his dreams, he should know not to make three girls groupies. He should, yeah. he should just know not to say that. Yeah, I think that was, uh, I think that's a hindsight. This movie was made in 2006, probably wouldn't have done it this way because I, yeah, at least you could have called them, what they end up being is the costume designers. He should have just called them the costume designers because, yeah, when, we're costume designers because when you're calling kids groupies, not a great look. Yeah, it'd be like you're going to run the fan club or something, but ooh. Yeah, yeah merch table, costume, like that's basically what they do. And then you don't have to have the uncomfortable nature of, uh, but I guess, I guess the point of it is because then the parents later Google what groupie is. So maybe it was just a very long setup for the parent outrage scene, but yeah, still not ideal. Yeah. Yeah. I also tough. could a thousand percent see it being a way where Dewey just thinks it's understood that he doesn't mean the sleep with the band part. But yeah, even uh, what's her face? Uh, Miranda Cosgrove, Summer, she looks it up and she Googles it. So yeah, I guess groupie is just so that Miranda and then the parents can get mad. So uh, maybe that's all it was. But I could also see Dewey just being oblivious and thinking, oh, well, of course I didn't mean that stuff. They're kids. Come on, guys. Well, yeah, because Dewey, Dewey operates in his life as everyone should know what he's talking about and right. be on the same wavelength. As yeah, him. everyone knows where I'm coming from without me having to explain myself. Everything I do, he's just, you're a classic movie character of like, I mean well, and thus all of my poor decisions should be glossed over. <laughs> exactly. The next one I have is the creation of the step off rock song. When Dewey's oh. like, how do we write a rock song? And it's about getting angry, but it's... It's the first time you see Dewey intentionally trying to help one of these kids' confidence for yeah. like, something mm -hmm. other than his own uses because he sees like Zach's dad giving him a bunch of shit. Yep. And so he uses that. Like It's the first... The Lawrence conversation is good, but Dewey is also... Can, like pumping him up because Dewey needs a rock band, which is inherently selfish. Like he just saw Zach like Zach is in a bummer mood because his dad was giving him shit, and he uses this exercise strictly to pump him up, and it's not for Dewey's uses, which is which is why I add it was not something that I thought of that not fondly, but like it wasn't like a big scene for me until I rewatched it. I was like, this was actually really good. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really nice. I really appreciate him doing it. And it just shows you the power of a good teacher is someone that is able to do that. And like no one else except for Zach knows what Dewey is doing in that moment. And that's what makes it even better to everyone else. It's just a music lesson. But to Zach, it's so much more. Exactly. Um, the next one, and this is kind of a theme, I guess, for the, the scenes that that I've listed uh, when Dewey discovers Zach's song. It starts with uh, Fancy Pants saying that they should just wear their uniform, which is a nice touch. But mm -hmm. they they basically Zach has written the song that they're going to end up like actually playing. And it, it is just it's good to see the best scenes in this movie, I think, are when when Jack Black and the kids are just cooking in the classroom. Oh, for sure. Especially because they said this that in the director's commentary as well, that 
many of the times the kids are laughing at Jack Black, it's just genuine they are laughing at him and that caused sometimes gold, which they kept in the movie, but sometimes they like couldn't use a scene because it was too funny, which I think is always great. Oh, I can see if you're between the ages of 10 or 15, J- Jack Black in, in person probably being the funniest person ever just because of how how ridiculous he lets himself be at all times. Oh, yeah. I was about the age of the kids when this movie came out. I think I was in... When did did this movie come out? Was it 2003? 2003. Yeah, so 2003. So, yeah, I was 11. So I was in, like, fourth or fifth grade when this came out. So I was about the age of the kids. So, yeah, it was... I mean, for me, it was just so funny. (laughs) Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, this was a... This was an automatic hit for for kids our age. And Mm -hmm. it was in... It was absolutely a DVD you got and oh, yeah. just watched every weekend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause it was it was cool. It wasn't it is technically a kid's movie, but it was cool. It didn't feel like a kid's movie. It it hits that perfect balance. Yeah, it's got that Pixar vibe where if you watch it as a kid, you laugh at Jack Black's antics, and when you're an adult, you laugh at some of the more innuendo thoughtful jokes that go completely over your head as a kid. Yeah, it's got something for everyone. The final mm-hmm. scene I've got is, and this one is kind of the battle of the bands. The song yep, still yep, goes yep. really, really hard. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's solid. The uh, The whole theater and everything is great as long as we overlook the fact that this is like the middle of the day on a weekday and it's a sold out arena. That is a, yeah, that is a <laughs> huge red flag. <laughs> Other than that, I mean, hey, just a testament to the promoters, the true hero of the movie, whoever got that filled out. But yeah, it's just, it's just a great scene, especially with like the last minute thing of the, uh, the lighting and tech guy has to do it on the fly. Like I like getting the other people involved. The non-musicians get their bit of glory at the last minute heroics. So I think that's nice. Yeah, it's great. Did I miss any of your favorites? I thought about including the the parent teacher night scene. Oh, that's but <laughs> it, it's so it, oh, it's it, so it's cringe, painful but to wonderful. Watch. The the two that I pointed out that you haven't uh, listed. One would be when he has to sing the math is a wonderful thing song when uh, the principal comes in and he has to do the song when she's like, "Oh, you're learning." Like she asks what the guitar is. And he has to do the math is a wonderful thing. Like that whole that whole song is so funny to me. So uh, especially because Dewey was absolutely a C minus student in high school. <laughs> the yes, I was testing you. It's nine. Like oh, it's so wonderful. But I like that a lot. And also, I know they don't end up going with the song, which I think makes sense because Zach's song does work better. But Jack Black performing by himself what the song will be where he describes everything you know with the with the legend of the rent and doing all of that and my favorite is of that when he talks to uh freddie the drummer about the drum roll and he's like you know the hawaii 50 where they go like that whole thing where he's doing like the backup vocals and that i think it's all in one take too which is incredible like they don't cut at all and it's just i think that is like the peak all-star signature. It's the LeBron James block of Andre Iguodala of Jack Black's career. Like, that is the thing they're going to play if he ever wins, like, a Lifetime Achievement Oscar. Heart he knew The artist must be true But the legend of the rent was way past due And then, Katie, you come in with the bass. Well, you think you'll be just fine without me, but you're mine! You think you can kick me out of the band, and then, Zach, you come in with a face melter. 
I'm honestly kind of glad that that the Hawaii 5-0 thing, though, was it was the only time they used that shtick of like, obviously, these kids aren't going to know what Hawaii mm-hmm. 5-0 is, but they could have gone really heavy with that. And like, because yeah. that's a that's a common trope, like, oh, you youngins don't know about this, don't know about this. They just sprinkled it in right there. It is really, I mean, it is Jack Black going forward in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. My favorite is, I mean, for, it's it's easy for me. It's the Battle of the Bands. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one. I think it's hard. I think if I'm going for like the wholesome answer, it's assembling the team and having everyone find out their instruments because it's like the most emotional. And I love a good let's get the gang together type scene. But something oh, about um, something getting about the gang <laughs> together is like that's like my that's the best. I was it's just so I was telling funny. my fiance last night, like I love it when the band gets back together. Yeah. So that is always good. But I do love man. The, it's like the Jack Black monologue with a mirror now in the end of time. Like, oh, it's just it's really hard. I feel like those are one A and one B for me where it's like one is pure comedy and one is like I get to feel the emotion of everyone doing the music and stuff. It's they're both so great. They are. They are. Let's take a quick ad break and then we'll get back with the best quote. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try it Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is our best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by our old friends at BetOnline.ag. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. Game spreads, totals, team player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can also get in on season opening bonuses today. Start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. And that stuff changes week to week, so that's always open. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code Blue Wire, betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we're back. Mike, for you, is there a is there a single quote in this one that you know that that sticks out as your favorite in the movie? Oh gosh. The problem is that it is so quotable. There are so many incredible quotes. And they're all so different and so great in so many different ways. It's just... uh, And a lot of them are quick and quippy. It's not like, you know, powerful. It's not like a field of dreams type quote about something about like the, the, you know, how magical baseball is. Like one of Mm. my favorites is just when like Fancy Pants asked about designing clothes and the jackpot. Of course you can, Fancy Pants. Like I just love that. (laughs) Yeah. And similarly with Fancy Pants when... uh, 
the, you know, it's like you're when they're all making fun of him, he's like, you're tacky. Who are like, who's your bully? You what? You're tacky and I hate you. Are you see me after class? And, and then also makes fun of the bow tie. And he's like, Don't be talking about my bow tie. Like also ugh, fancy pants stuff is very good. There's also the the one that I come back to and it's early in the movie is uh, and I, I think I come back to it because I've heard it the most because I'm pretty sure it was in the trailer is Freddie saying, doesn't a hangover mean you're drunk? And Jack, yeah. like, no, it means I was drunk yesterday. That one's pretty good. I also, I don't know if this counts as a quote, but the uh, the handshake with Lawrence is always really fun for me. And I have done that with many of my friends. My wife and I do it from time to time. But yeah, the whole, you know, give me a platform, let's rock, let's rock today, slap it, shoot it, kaboot it. That I think is a great, all the stuff of Dewey and Lawrence is just really fun. Yeah, the cat's pajamas, man, the bee's knees. The bee's knees? <laughs> It's so it's it's so good. This there there's not really it, it's very hard to pick one. Yeah, it's I I really have a hard time. There are just so there are so many. I also do appre- <laughs> I appreciate in the beginning uh, when Dewey is arguing with Ned and he says, "Would you tell Picasso to sell his guitars?" <laughs> do well. That's the classic. That gives you a huge insight into Dewey's sense of self importance, despite having zero accomplishment in his life. It's it's so good. Yeah, I think if I have to go with like one exchange, I would probably pick where the one where he tells the kids to be mean to him because you get everyone being like peak them. Freddie says go to hell, which is very Freddie of him. Summer says he's the worst teacher that she ever had, which is very Summer. And then Lawrence, (laughs) Lawrence just like deadpan, just straight up like you're fat and you have body odor, like just straight (laughs) up. It's just, I just, I appreciate the kids just being the truest sense of themselves. The kids are really good. And we're gonna They're great. I love it. I really do. I have another thing I didn't put on the rundown, but I want to ask, what is the, the best music drop in this movie? And I'll give you some nominees and I'm okay. going to exclude the actual School of Rock song. I'm thinking like right, famous right. songs we had heard. Uh, Back in Black when he's picking the kids' band positions. Mm. Immigrant song on the way home from the tryouts. Mm. Uh, Edge of 17 when he's having a beer with Joan Cusack. And then uh, it's a long way to the top as the encore song and into the credit song. I think I think the immigrant song, because I know for a movie in 2003, that was like a landmark get because Led Zeppelin notoriously didn't let people use their music in stuff. And they weren't in a lot of movies. And they had to, and this was in the DVD extras, they had to write a letter and they filmed all the kids saying, can we please do it? And when they were filming the Battle of the Band scene and they had a full arena full of extras, Jack Black has a video of him like in his full getup with the guitar on stage begging Led Zeppelin to let them use the Immigrant song. And then they got them to use it. So like, it's so good in the scene. And I think it's only made better by knowing how hard they had to work to get that song. And now Led Zeppelin uses their songs in more stuff. But for a while, they were really, really stingy about it. So that was part of the IMDb trivia. And then Jack Black actually introduced the band's three surviving members when they were recipients of the esteemed Kennedy Center honor in the presence of President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama, which is oh, now a video so cool. I want to watch. Yeah, I got to see after, that. <laughs> yeah. After we finish recording, I think I'm going to go watch that. That sounds like something I'd enjoy. Yeah. Um, as usual on this pod, we talk about what was the the most authentic, least authentic aspects of the film. Uh, did you have something for most? 
Most authentic, I think, is the way the kids act. And as I said before, I think it's because these aren't, aside from Miranda Cosgrove, they're not child actors. They are child musicians that they told to act. Because of that, they act just like regular kids. They giggle at Jack Black and they just like they act in a way that isn't like a young person who is told to act. And I just appreciate how much like kids the kids are. Absolutely. The one I had for most authentic was, and I, d- I don't want to be too hard on the character of Dewey, but we all know a Dewey, mm-hmm. like an adult who has a very unrealistic dream acting like everyone is absolutely crazy for not believing in him. Yeah, no, for sure. We all have that. Also, I think the biggest flip is watching as a kid versus watching as an adult is that Sarah Silverman's character, yeah, she's supposed to be the terrible girlfriend, but as a kid, you absolutely hate her. As an adult, she is so correct. She is like, absolutely, I had that down too. She is so like, correct. she is the, the actual true unsung hero of this movie and deserves better than having to live with Ned and Dewey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the fact that Ned has let Dewey walk all over him, like she is exactly the voice of reason that... Ned needs to stand up to Dewey for just not paying his rent over and over and over again. And it was also funny as a kid, I had no idea who Sarah Silverman was. I like to me, it was just like, oh, Sarah Silverman, the girl from School of Rock, not the flip. And I think as an adult, it's almost like the Squidward transition, where as a kid, we all hate Squidward. And then as we get older, we're like, oh, yeah, Squidward had terrible neighbors. I get it. That's actually that's a very fun like theory you need we need to put into play at some point like the Squidward theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, character <laughs> like what, you hate as a kid that you sympathize with as you get older. Yeah, like when Dewey essentially puts Ned's entire life at risk and Sarah Silverman loses her shit because like you're apologizing to him like yeah, she's very right. Yeah. And the other thing that also doesn't make sense about all of what Ned or all of what Dewey did is he's you know, he's trying to get money for Ned, but he's taking Ned's money. Like he's not, it's not like he's getting a new source of income. I get, I know Ned was like doing a different substitute teacher job somewhere else, but like he's, it's not like he's found this new trove of income. It's just stealing Ned's potential income and then giving it to Ned to pay rent, which Dewey owes him. <laughs> so that rolls into my least authentic. And I get, it is a movie you cannot you have to make it work. Yeah, you that, have that to know you're watching school a movie. would ask for some ID. They would need to see a license. At least I could see the first day being believable because it's so last minute oh shit, especially because I went to a school like this K through 8 where you just I think for the first couple of grades it was just like your teacher taught everything. It wasn't until I think 5th or 6th grade that they really got into this is the history teacher, this is the math teacher, this is the English teacher. So, I could see that being a oh crap moment, but you're right. Once you get to day 2, you probably do a check. Oh, for sure. Like even to get into a public elementary school now, you have to give them your ID and they make a sticker with a picture of your ID on it, like a mm-hmm. visitor sticker. Private schools, you know, you've got a gate you need to get into. There is just there is no and and you'd also see the van when he pulls up in the van, <laughs> you're going to be a, you're going to have a little more scrutiny when you see that van. Yeah, they also probably would have a picture of Ned Schneebly. <laughs> I would think true. Like yeah. somewhere they would know what he looks like. Like it, it is a I mean those parents were right. I mean, 
I think if this happens in reality and the parents don't do the turn heel where they're, you know, hey, we, you know, we actually didn't get had. This is actually a great thing. We're going to support this school. Uh, I think they would have, that school would have gotten closed down. I think this would have been, mm. a, I mean, this would have been splashed on 60 Minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's tough, but let's get into what worked about this one. What stands out for you, Mike? What makes School of Rock a Hall of Fame movie? First off, Jack Black's performance. Absolutely. He's just in his exact element. It is the closest he can get to to basically doing a Tenacious D movie with it actually having a different script and he's playing a character. I think the the incorporation of music is really solid. The whole soundtrack is really good. And what I appreciate about the soundtrack is that it's not just well-known classic rock song after well-known classic rock song over and over and over again. And I think that that's a really easy decision that it could have been made is just like, oh, let's get like Iron Man and all of these very, very well-known songs. The fact that they have like a lesser known song by David Bowie and the song that I don't even know what it is, but when he's running away from the parents and it just starts with the like, ah, just scream. I had, I had the soundtrack, but it was my friend had it and he burned it onto a CD. So it just had track one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever. It didn't have the actual names. So I had to type them in and I never knew what that song was called. So I just saved it as, ah, like a G H G H G H. But the soundtrack is really solid and it works really well in the movie. And they do a good job of incorporating like well-known songs. I also appreciate that, like you had talked about earlier, when they're bringing in the kids to start playing the music, it's a way to like, you make Smoke on the Water a song in the movie without using Smoke on the Water. Like you have the kids doing it. And then same thing with You Shook Me All Night Long and and, uh, Touch Me by the Doors. It's a nice way of, they do a lot of nods to music without actually... um, putting the exact song in there and i think that's fun this also just super heavy-handed with the music yeah it's like integrated smoothly and it's not shoved down your throat and forced it's worked in nicely and also i'm remembering a quote that might be my favorite dark horse for favorite quote is when he quotes uh he's talking to all the teachers and he's like what if we just let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be and then one of the teachers is like i think that's a song and he goes no it isn't (laughs) (laughs) and then and then similarly where he says and those who can't teach teach gym like i love him chumming it up with the teacher (laughs) yeah and then it's like oh he's part of the group now (laughs) this is a movie that there's not a single other actor I can think of where I think this works. Like the movie, oh, I mean, no, obviously it was written for him, but mm-hmm. it is, it's like, I, I don't, I don't even know. Like it is just so, it is so perfect for him. It's like Billy Crystal and when Harry met Sally, I can't picture anyone else being Harry and when Harry met Sally because of Billy Crystal's like witty neuroticism. And Jack Black is just the perfect embodiment of this film, of this character. It is, I mean, the character of De- and the character of Dewey is so is so authentic because, like we said, we've all met a Dewey like very realistic. Dewey was a guy who loved rock music, could play the guitar well, but couldn't write songs for shit. Like mm-hmm. it is very hard to write music. Very realistic. The Dewey was very unable to look at any potential negative long term consequences of his actions. Yeah, for sure. Dewey uh, lives. Dewey lives for the minute. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I also think that all of the side characters work really well there's no there's no side character that i think stands out in a way that feels unbelievable like ned schneebly is such the perfect walked all over roommate slash friend sarah silverman is such a perfect 
annoying, naggy girlfriend, even though we do, you know, support her for being correct. The parents are all perfect, angry, rich parents. The teacher is such a perfect, like, stuffy up teacher that has just one thing that they like that lets them let loose. Uh, the band that Dewey was in is just so perfect. And like, you hate that lead singer so much, Despising. especially after he gets his haircut where his hair sucks even more. Like you just, he's uh, so hateable. Uh, Spider is just so absurd, especially when he wears a shirt that is just leather sleeves and nothing else. <laughs> Incredible look. Like all of the other side characters, I think are all just so much fun. And I think they all bring something to the table. And there's not like, there's not a single person in the cast in the ensemble that sticks out. And you're like, ah, I just really didn't like the this. I think everybody works really well. They do a very good job of spreading the ball around, especially with the kids. All, oh, yeah. Almost all the kids have something to do. And it's very good. Like you said, very good child actor performances. They seem... They seem very natural. Mm -hmm. um, the only the only kid I didn't like, I didn't like as a kid and even watching back, Freddie is overacting a little bit. But that being said, he is like the the type of kid that is trying to be too cool. So it kind of works. But yeah, I think the the only kid performance that I didn't think was great was uh, was Freddie. And also, it is very clear to tell that Miranda Cosgrove is the only true actor because she is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and I think if she plays any other character, it doesn't work. But the fact that she plays the know-it-all, goody-goody-two-shoes teacher's pet works, and she's very funny. Yeah, it's interesting. She is the the only child actor who really broke through in this one. She is the only one who I think probably is still having a, a successful career. Yeah, I wouldn't I be tell. surprised if all the other kids who were musicians like went on to do music stuff because they're all incredibly talented. Like I was learning guitar at that age, and I couldn't do anything close to what Zach Mooneyham does. So, well, that's I, uh, actually the unfortunate. The, the actor who played Zach Mooneyham has fallen on some hard times. Oh no! Um, as oh. of re yeah, as of recently. So that's that's tough. You you hate to see that, but it seems like everyone else is do. They have these reunions and they play the song and everything. It's just Miranda Cosgrove is the only one who has kind of mm -hmm. uh, transcended. I want to shout out something that I never noticed until this past uh, this past rewatch. It was something that my fiance pointed out before the Battle of the Bands tryout. Incredibly body positive conversation with Tamika. Because I'm fat. Tamika. Hey, you've got something everybody wants. You've got talent, girl. You have an incredible singing voice, and I'm not just saying that. You heard of Aretha Franklin, right? Okay, she's a big lady, but when she starts singing, she blows people's minds. Everybody wants to party with Aretha! And, um, you know who else has a weight issue? Who? Me. But, once I get up on stage, start doing my thing, people worship me! Because I'm sexy and chubby, man. Why aren't you on a diet? Because I like to eat. Is that such a crime? Yeah, I was going to say, I just thought of that as we were talking about the performances. I was thinking, wow, Tamika's a really good singer. Oh, I wonder if she is doing anything. Yeah, I love that, especially for 2003, she, the whole conversation about her just like not being confident because she's not skinny enough, which is unfortunately a big reality in music is like you can't just be good. You have to also be hot, which I think is so weird it is so weird that that is like part of being a pop icon is like oh are you good at singing oh you're also really attractive right like you can't you can't you can't just be good at the the thing you're good at but 
Yeah, I think it's we really talked good about that when we talked about Pitch Perfect, though, and like yep, that yep. that Ben Platt's character was such like a little weirdo that they wouldn't let him really shine until the end of the movie. When in reality, he's just the most talented person in the world. Yeah, so I think for a 2003 movie, this was really solid, and I just like that Jack Black was just like you know straight up as Dewey. But th- there's certain parts of when he's Dewey that you can tell he's just kind of being Jack Black. And this is one of them where he was like, I'm fat, I can sing, whatever. And I think that that's good. All of the moments where he brings out the confidence in the kid, Lawrence and Tamika especially, I think it's really solid. I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Um, There is a very authentic moment uh, right after Ned has discovered that Dewey has been impersonating him and Sarah Silverman comes home and, you know, Dewey's like, you know, you can't, can't tell her don't tell her anything and as soon as he leaves she gives him that what's going on Ned, that <laughs> moment and you, oh, you know so good you know ned schneebly anyone who's been in a relationship knows that ned schneebly is fucked oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it was i i watched that like i openly laugh when she just hits him with that what's going on ned like oh Ooh, she's great for, she she acts this very very well she is um let's go into what didn't work and i mean we already talked about it but what didn't work is sarah silverman's character is actually the hero in this movie mm-hmm. yeah i i think like it's it's about the audience but yeah i think you know if you're gearing this more towards kids she has to be the the buzz killington if you will but she is right <laughs> like she's she really only right. exists as a bad guy when you can gloss over and yada yada over what Dewey Finn has done, which is just commit multiple crimes. But yeah, I think that I think that might not work as well as the look back. Obviously, the fact that this Battle of the Bands is a sold out show on a Tuesday afternoon or whatever it is, completely unbelievable. The fact that he's able to get all this together with the bus and all of that, like there's no way uh, all of the school logistics. But the, like this, it's a movie. It's you have to just enjoy this movie you can't think about that kind of stuff because it's a movie <laughs> yeah i also have to ask how did at parent teacher night how did dewey escape the school so he he he's basically cornered the parents are in the room the cops and ned and sarah silverman are in the doorway and joan cusack he has just said that cringeworthy comment about Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. your kids have touched me and I think I've touched them. So the parents are furious. The cop knows something's up. And then the next we see Dewey is sprinting down an empty hallway with his guitars. Like the feel like the only way he gets out of that situation is if he throws himself through a window. Yep, 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 yep. I don't know how he gets away. I mean, I guess the security, the only thing I could think of is like the security is not as tight when it's parent teacher night as opposed to a full school day. But yeah, you would think that they would have a, uh, you'd think they'd be a little bit better prepared for this situation. Yeah. The, that cop could have been able you know, should have been able to put him in a bear hug or something. I don't, I don't think Dewey's getting out of there. Um, yeah. I, the other thing, the, uh, the soundproofing of the classroom. <laughs> like, there's yeah. They, they would have been hearing that music throughout the entire school. There's just no way. No, there's no way at all. I mean, like, some of the things make sense. You know, they've got the mats on the drums and the things in the doorway, but, like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way at all. Um, I, the the Kevin Costner, Freddie Prince Jr. awards for best and worst on-screen job depiction. I think we've already talked about how Black is just perfect casting. He's He's able to untether himself like this character Mm -hmm. is just like like this character needs to be this washed wannabe i want to give a shout out to joan cusack as the kind of like neurotic very nervous principal i thought she was i thought that was a very believable character 
I think so, too. It was very believable, her hesitations towards trying to do things and step out of the box and field trips and all that kind of stuff and, uh, you know, wanting him to stick to the curriculum and everything. I think it's super believable and it's very fun. She's such a fun character and it's especially wild when you think about the other things she's done. Like the fact that she voices Jesse from Toy Story is uh, always fun. (laughs) Yeah. No, I've always actually been a a Joan Cusack fan in her her interesting her interesting accent or dialect. Yeah, like the wonderfully Midwesternish accent that she has. It just fits. And the look, she's just got the perfect look of stuffy given the costume and everything they put her in. She fits that role so well. It's so fun. Yeah. So let's get into the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. There's like, kind of like we said, they really spread the ball around in this. Yeah. One. Like there's a lot of it is personal preference. Like we, Miranda Cosgrove is really good. Um, Kevin Clark is Freddie. Like you say, the, the kid's going for it. Freddie's going to get into some shit in high school. Like going into the van <laughs> was just the start. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, it's hard. It's hard because I don't think that there is any, bigger like there's i think there's very little distinction there's like three tiers of characters there's the main there's jack black then there's the main characters of like ned and sarah silverman and joan cusack and then there's the kids and the extras and stuff so it's kind of hard to pick the pinch hitter here but i think i'm just gonna go out of limb and say spider spider's just so fun (laughs) he starts off as the perfect person you would hate to get replaced with this is spider he's replacing you just oh my god and then he's just what's up like he doesn't he's just it's uh it's so great and then the fact that he gets the hots for the teacher at the end is just he's so funny that would be a district attorney lucas babin that i mean (laughs) just incredible uh graduated as a got his doctorate from the university of houston law school um I mean, amazing. He's been the DA in, in uh, Tyler County, Texas, since 2018. Incredible. Wild. Good for him. Also, Absolutely I'm now realizing, because I'm imagining, I was going to say, the way he, uh, when he's playing bass or guitar or whatever he's playing, and he's dancing around and stuff, he does a really great like 360 pivot body roll movement, which is very fun. But then I remember that song, that song, the fact that that song won is a fucking crime. Oh, like, it's so Heal bad. Heal Me, I'm Heartsick is bad. It's worse than the song they sing in the beginning. Like, the obviously, the Jack Black solo is ridiculous and over the top. But Fight for Your Love is so much better than Heal Me, I'm Heartsick. Heal Me, I'm Heartsick blows. It's awful. The only reason they would have given it to them is they're like, I don't think we can't just bestow this prize money on all these kids. Yeah. There's something illegal about that. That's the I, only thing I could think. But it, it gave me flashbacks again to Pitch Perfect. It really felt like uh, the... Uh, like opposite in that you're rooting for school of rock to win and they don't, but still like the school of rock is like the troublemaker song. It was just so much better. The troublemaker song hits so good. I just wanted real quick. I need to, I need to tell you some of the characters that Lucas Babin has in his, yeah, please. In his IMDb. So these, these are just some of the names model at party, Mm -hmm. handsome Prince, Mm -hmm. spider, big stoner, junkie, the night boyfriend slash photographer. I mean, yep, yeah, it's all fit in the bill. It's it's what you think of when you think of Spider. Um, <laughs> the big chill. My favorite. My favorite category in in any podcast. Uh, I have one nomination. It is the the performance of the School of Rock at the end. 
Yeah, it's just, it's so good. I think the only thing that would rival it is the emotional moments that he has with the kids, whether it's the Zach bullying thing or the Lawrence not being cool enough, nobody ever talks to me, or Tamika body issues. I think those are the only things that rival it, but I think that final performance just has all of that same goodness in one. And then you get to see the parents in the crowd being proud of their kids and the lighting guy. I think Gordon is his name. The lighting guy does well and the costumes on the fly. Like, uh, I, I think that final scene is just untouchable. And the song is just legitimately really, really good. Like, it still hits. Yeah, and what I think they do a really good job of is, like, you know enough about the song from the earlier scenes in the movie that you know to expect, but there are still really cool moments that you don't get. And the biggest one for me is Lawrence's keyboard solo. Oh, when he's doing the point. really cool. It's the callback to the point thing. Mm -hmm. And then the actual, like, solo itself is really good. So there's some nice, fun, hidden elements where you know what the song is, but it's still, to see it in its full final form is great. And then some added things where you're like, oh, whoa, the solos. Like, it's really fun. Yeah, it's the same thing as that thing you do. Whereas if in that thing you do, mm. if the song, that thing you do isn't really, really good, the movie just isn't nearly as effective. If this song was only just okay, I think of the song at the end of Freaky Friday. That song is good. <laughs> it is not astounding. I think yeah, this yeah, yeah. one is, is, is a tier above. I think... It, it elevates the movie. Yeah, it's it's really solid. Uh, just every Everyone does well. All the performances are great. It's fantastic. How would you improve this, Mike, if at all? Oh, man, I think, I think if you want to improve it at all, maybe you try to make some elements a little more believable. Like you give a bit more thought to how they kind of get around because you kind of have to just suspend a lot of disbelief but it's such a fun movie that that's not a huge deal so i don't think i don't think it's a huge thing that's necessary like it's you're not going into this movie expecting realism so i think for me that's the only thing i can really think of and it doesn't really matter that much yeah i think the only thing if you give dewey a few more redeemable qualities mm -hmm. early in the movie um he is very He's very ungrateful to Ned. Right. And I think if you, you know, he's only like, he is only taking that job. It's not really because he feels that bad for Ned. He's like, they're going to kick me out if I don't get this money. Like Ned has pretty much told him, if you don't, you know, my, my girlfriend's going to dump me and I'm going to have to kick you out. And he says like, oh, I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing this for her. Dewey's doing it for him. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think you make him a little more redeemable. But yeah, th this movie... And it, I mean, considering it came out 17 years ago, has actually aged really well. Yeah, it's it's actually I'm surprised how well it holds up. I remember the first time I rewatched it after a long gap because I had a span from 2003 to th to 2008 where I watch it like every day. But when my wife and I were flying back from a uh, we were we were in Italy and we flew back. We had a really long flight, so we were trying to pick a bunch of different movies to watch on the flight home. And I saw they had School of Rock, and I was like, Oh my gosh, have you ever seen it? And she hadn't. I was like, you have to, it's one of my favorites. Please, can we watch it? And the whole time I was like, man, this movie came out right in that time where things don't age well at all. And looking back, it doesn't look so great, but uh, I, it holds up. It does. It does. The last category before more restored. So this is an interesting one. It's already been on Broadway. It's already been a TV show. Um, would you want to see a prequel sequel 
remake or none of the above of this movie. I think a prequel is probably a prequel is like Ned and and uh, Dewey and their mm-hmm. band, their their metal band. Yeah, I feel like the answer I wanna I wanna say none of the above. I I think it's just good as I think itself. that's the play. I don't think there's really any story that I'm dying to see. I think that you get all of the all that you need from the school in the ending credits, which is one of the best credits, just like them all doing their stuff. And basically every kid gets to do a little solo thing. The singers get to do solo riffs and the musicians get to do solo music stuff. So I feel like they kind of tie up everything really nicely that you don't need another story. And I don't think you need any backstory either. One of this, the things that I love that is one of the only things really from, from COVID era America that I've enjoyed is cast kind of banding back together like uh you saw the parks and rec cast Mm -hmm. do one episode that you know that kind of zoom call episode you saw like the west wing is is dropping a thing i think that's this weekend weekend that we're recording is doing a thing i would like because i like the the reunion video so much it would be cool to see them do like a 10 15 minute skit maybe raise something for charity i would be yeah because again like in most literal terms i love seeing the band get back together but i yeah i don't think I don't think this is IP that that they should do much more with. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mike, I want to leave you with with one more thing that I saw in in Lucas Babin, a.k.a. Spider's Wikipedia. This is very, very important. (laughs) Babin was Paris Hilton's love interest in the music video Stars Are Blind. Wow. Oh my gosh, this man's career is so interesting. What an impact this guy has made. Gosh, absolutely incredible. Wow. Like stunning. Stunning. I don't, I can't expand any more after that. I think that's a good place to leave it. Mike, thanks so much for returning to Big Screen Sports. Tell the folks again where they can follow you. Thanks again for having me. It's always fun to come on. This is great. I love that I have been on the show four times and I still haven't done a sports movie. And I love, like, I genuinely love that. The We're going to have to figure that out, though, at some point. We're going to have to do just a real plain, boring sports movie. <laughs> I'm enjoying keeping the streak going. But, yeah, if you want to follow me on social media, it's at Shoot17. Um, and then if you want to listen to my podcasts, Potterless horse and meddling adults just search those wherever you get your podcasts meddling adults season one episode 10 had kyle on it so you can see him tackle some encyclopedia brown mysteries and invent two minor league baseball teams along the way it's a good time it was a great time i i encourage everyone go check out meddling adults all of mike's work if you enjoyed this episode of big screen sports please remember subscribe wherever you get your podcast you guys know the drill rate review i have no scheduling updates for you because we are recording this about two or three weeks before the actual episode drops but i'm sure november is going to be a great month on big screen sports and we'll catch you next monday thanks for listening Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. 
Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.